Well, come on back and uh, grab a seat. And uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and Jared will get you a Bible. Jared back there will get you a Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. He'll get you one right over there, right over there. And uh, you can open up your Bible to the fourth chapter of the book of Colossians. Well, we are coming to the end. We, if you're new here, we're traveling through the Bible. We are just convicted here that we're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way through the Bible. Sometimes we skip around different uh, books, but we're generally going through the New Testament on Sunday, Old Testament on Wednesday, which we resume now, Wednesday night service, Jeremiah chapter 8 and 9 in that range. So we'll be picking that back up. But So we're in the New Testament, and uh, I got the greatest text this week. This is how effective I am at preaching. Uh, this is just maybe the greatest text I ever received in my preaching life. So uh, somebody asked me what we we're going to do next, and uh, I said, well, I don't know. I haven't, you know, heard from the Lord and been praying about it, but I don't know. And uh, I, I said, what do you think? And a, a couple of days later, the text came back, well, I think we should do Luke. And I, it hit me and startled me because two books ago, we went through Luke for a whole year. So that person who's a regular attendee obviously was very impacted by the teaching. Uh, that's some funny stuff right there, buddy. Uh, so anyway, uh, but we're, we're in Colossians now, and um, uh, we're going to close that out today. Um, uh, we're going to start a right around uh, chapter, or excuse me, verse 7 of Colossians 4. Well, let me tell you about something. Uh, I'm not a big TV watcher anymore, uh, although I do watch sports, okay? I'll watch any sport, any time, any day. I love sports. But when my wife and I uh, moved, or just about were ready to move to Hawaii, there was this show that came on TV. For about 10 years, it was one of the most popular shows uh, on TV, and I was surprised to learn as I looked it up, it was only number one for a couple years at the end of its run in the early 2000s. It was about a, a group of people, three or four young men and three or four young ladies who lived in Manhattan, and they were all beautiful and wonderful and great on the outside, and they looked great, and they were successful movie stars or, you know, actors, I guess, and so they, they put the best and the brightest into this show, and the show was really about this. It was about hooking up. It was about um, uh, just, you know, this uh, you know, mass of uh, one day being a friend, next day being, uh, you know, romantically and sexually involved. And, uh, uh, you know, this went on for about 10 years, and it was the most popular show in the United States. And the funny part about that show is what it was called, is it was called Friends. Hmm. 
friends. So what it projected to the world in the United States and actually all around the world, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it's hysterical, or maybe it's not hysterical, maybe it's sad. Uh, Friends had a great impact around the world in the way that people talk. Uh, They actually studied this, and uh, you know how you say, so wonderful, so great. Well, during that 10 years of Friends, the increase in language of people in the community, in the real world, who would you know, uh, 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 define their descriptive words or use the uh, uh, so with their descriptive words shot through the roof. People started saying so all the time. But what else did people see? People saw that it was fine and good and well uh, to do all the things that the world says is fine and good and well. And Nobody even blinked. In fact, uh, we would say that you would become desensitized and, uh, uh, to uh, all the things that are godly. It just took out of the realm in the public arena the things that God asks us to do when we're friends. You see, that's what the world calls friends, but the Bible shows us a different side a right way to be friends with people. Let me just read you just a few things before we get into the text. Let me just, uh, I don't have these in order, so they're not, you know, uh, the first part of uh, Proverbs. They're just random Proverbs that I picked out. Watch this. You, you know that the King Solomon, the wisest man there ever was, so to speak, put together a book of Proverbs. And one of the things he said, you're going to be really wise if you have friends. Let me just read you some of the things he said. Because it might not be the same thing you saw in the TV show from 1994 to 2004. Listen to this. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. If you watch that show, you would see they would laugh and joke about how unreliable some of the people were. And it treated the men like they were buffoons. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. How about this one in Proverbs 17, 17? A friend loves at all times, at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict. You ever heard people that say, You know, I was born for drama. I love drama. Okay, listen to Proverbs. Uh, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. How about this? I love this one. Don't you love this one? No, you don't love this one because you're an American. (laughs) Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 29.5, whoever flatters a neighbor spreads a net for his friends. Better is open rebuke, Proverbs 27 tells us, than hidden love. And then again, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 12, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 27.17, iron sharpens iron. What? And one man sharpens another. Proverbs 13.20, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You see, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about 
friends. You could go other places in the Bible. Actually, in Luke 16, 9, you could look it up. It says you could use your ungodly uh, un, um, mammon. You can use that, but use it for resources that benefit others and make friends. You could look that up in Luke 16, 9. How about this one? We forget this in Hebrews 10, 24. Ready? And let us, or 10, 24, and 25, excuse me. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Do you know you're doing something today, or you're supposed to be doing something today, and you don't even know it, maybe? Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. See, a lot of people come to church and they go, is that guy going to talk and do the sermons that I like? Are they going to play the music I like? I love hymns. Why don't they ever play hymns? I love contemporary music. Why don't they always play hymns? It just goes on and on and on. And here in Hebrews, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. But listen to the next verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. In other words, when you come to church, one of the things that you're doing as you receive from the Lord is to stir up in each other gossip. No, not gossip. Love and good works. I'm to encourage you. You're to encourage me to love others better and in good works or to love others like Christ loved people. That's what we're to be. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Isn't this funny? The Bible's funny in some places. Catch it. As is the manner of some. It's like, hey, people, get to church. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. If you believe the Bible, you know and I know that Jesus is coming back to this earth a second time to judge people and the nations. And what are we to be doing? One of the things we're to be doing, stirring up each other for love and good works, not criticizing each other because you sat in my chair. I mean, come on, folks, right? Friendship. We're going to be talking about a number of these different things, and there's a lot of other verses all throughout. I want you to see something in Acts 2.42 and beyond. Okay? Acts 2.42 and and, and maybe a little more than that. Uh, Let's actually start at Acts 2.40. I want you to catch this. It says in the book of Acts, who wrote the book of Acts? Who who said that? What would you say? There you go, Luke. Yeah, right, Luke. And that's going to be interesting for today. And with many other words, he testified, verse 40, and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Watch this. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And what did they do? Listen, folks, if you go to a church and the committees vote for a marketing strategy, walk out. (laughs) I'm kidding around a little bit. You don't need a marketing strategy. Jesus put it right here. Here's what the church is to do. Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the Bible, and fellowship. What is fellowship, folks? Friendship. 
In the breaking of bread, eat together, but not just eat together, take communion together and remember the Lord's death and his coming. That's fellowship. That's real fellowship. It's rooted in Jesus. You can talk about the pirates if you want. You can talk about the stealers. You can talk about your garden. That's fine. That's what friends do. But your relationship is rooted in the thankfulness that Jesus died and rose again. That's it. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This is what the early church did. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So look, verse 46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread. Look, look, they just weren't in the temple together. They went home, and they broke bread, and they went from house to house. They were tight-knit friends. You're not designed to live a Lone Ranger Christianity. You're designed to live in community. Oh, by the way, I want you to see the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Isn't that beautiful? And they praised God and having favor with all people. And here it comes. Here's the, you don't need church marketing, man. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Church marketing is telling you that you're responsible to get people in the church. (laughs) The Lord says, I'll do it. You just do what I say. (laughs) Just be a community of loving, forgiving, thankful believers. Now, I'm not real smart, but even I know Acts 2 comes after Acts 1 and the Gospels. What is all of that community based on? We talked about it. It's the the reality of the risen Jesus Christ. That's Acts 1. Jesus rose again, sends his Holy Spirit, and now we come together as friends Now, why did I go through all of that? Because we're on Colossians 4. Well, here's why. There's this guy in the Bible, and his name's Paul. And he was a religious dude. In fact, he says he was the most religious of all time. There was nobody more religious. He adhered to the Jewish law like nobody. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was zealous for the Jewish law, and he was an unsaved person. That's a warning against religiosity, folks. One day, he's going up to Damascus. By the way, this Paul, uh, this Saul, his name was first, was a killer of Christians. He killed Christians because they were upsetting his religious apple cart. And that's what religion always does. It kills and destroys and criticizes and knocks down. He walks to the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him and says, Hey, man, why are you doing this to me and my followers, and you know the story. And Paul becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, a religious dude, followed all the laws, didn't know Christ, but does know Christ when Christ appears to him. You say, well, Christ never appeared to me. Well, he's doing it today, right today through his word. He's showing you who he is. And out of that... God sweeps the worldly rug right out from underneath him. Power, boom. Image, boom. 
money, boom, education. He does still have it, but he says, that's foolishness to me anymore. What counts is the cross of Christ and preaching that. Now, why am I telling you that? Because this Paul is the one who wrote this insignificant or to this insignificant church to us or to him or to God, there's no church that's insignificant. No people are insignificant. But in the eyes of the world, Colossae, this church that Paul had never been to, is important. And he writes this letter to the Colossian church, I want you to know this and never forget it, in prison. Oh, man, if you and I were in prison and we know we were going to die, just think about that. We know we were going to be killed. I'd be crying like a baby for my own selfishness. Lord, get me out. Here Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, asking some friends, take it a thousand miles and give it to this little peewee little church out in the middle of nowhere. And so he goes through, and what he's concerned about is the first part of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. Listen, Preeminence is just a big word for uh, saying that Christ is first place in all things. He's preeminent. He's the visible image of God. He's the agent of creation, a sustainer, Colossians has told us. He's the head of the church. In wisdom and knowledge, he's the source of all treasure. Everything is found in Jesus Christ It pleases the Father to participate through Christ in what's called reconciliation. You ever been uh, uh, not reconciled to somebody, had irreconcilable, I'm having trouble saying it, having irreconcilable differences, you ever had that with somebody? Yeah, you do it when you're in a fight. You know that tension you feel between each other? Jesus Christ removed that between you and the Father. He, He gives us, he makes possible reconciliation. And it says in the book of Colossians that he's preeminent in that. And then he says some things in him, verse 9 of chapter 2, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And you, look, look, at this staggering thing. Then he says, because he knows us, he's like, yeah, he just knows us. He's so tender with us. He tells us all these grand and glorious, magnificent things about who Jesus is the greatest, the best. He only can do what you need to have happen. Reconcile us back to the Father. Watch this. And then he goes, and I know you're asking, what's in it for me? (laughs) And he says, you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. Why do you think Christians get up in the morning, they want to commune with the Father and then tell everybody else about his goodness and glory so that you can be complete in him. Wow. Then telling all of these amazing, beautiful things, and there's so many more that I missed here, Paul then says, and knowing all of this majesty about who Christ is, it should impact you in your homes. In your marriages, it will impact you. Uh, Parent-child relationships will become a godly thing. Oh, when you're at work... That's going to be uh, transformed and done for the glory of God. In fact, in verse 23 of chapter 3, listen to this, listen. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, 
It just transforms everything when you say, you know, one of my pet peeves of all of life is when Christians complain about Mondays. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? You really putting that out there? The Lord says, whatever you do, do as it unto the Lord. When you get up on Monday, you have the greatest and best opportunity to share God's love. You know that? Because everybody else in the world's complaining. And you're saying, praise the Lord, I get to go to work and worship him with my work. Oh my goodness, what a perspective. Okay, all of that, he then tells us that there's this thing, this old nature that you have, and you're to take off the old nature, and you're to put on the new nature, and that's going to impact everything. And finally, he says in verse 5 of chapter 4, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech also be with grace. Who could use that? Oh, just me and Angie. Okay. Okay. Okay, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Pepper in, salt in, season your uh, speech with the grace of God that you may know how you ought to answer, answer each one. And then, actually, somebody said it to me here today, or a couple weeks ago, you're, you're just going to run through seven through the end of the chapter, right? Because there's not really that much in there. Oh, don't say all. I say that sometimes, too. But... I'm like, no, we could actually spend a a month of Sundays on every person in here. So watch this. Paul, as he writes the end. Do you know this? Most people believe through the scriptures that Paul had an eye problem. Maybe, maybe not. And one of the things that he mostly did was have a secretary probably actually do the writing as he dictated it to the secretary. And at the end, then, he would grab that pen, most people believe, or whatever you wrote with then, and he would make his mark at the end. So they're getting to that point here in prison. And he says this. Follow along with me in chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus, I looked that up. I heard that pronounced a million ways. I think it's Tychicus. If you want to say something different, yell it out, and I'll say it different, okay? A a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, remember, this is Paul, folks. He's the one that created all the churches in the ancient world. The reason you're sitting here today is because God used Paul. Out across the Mediterranean, these churches, and then it spread farther and farther and farther. Here's Paul considering somebody else a beloved brother and a faithful minister, and not only that, a fellow servant. I want you to consider that. My temptation would be, if I was Paul, is to say, Ty, I'll say that. What a great brother. I'm so thankful he came to the Lord through me. I might say something like that, because he did come to the Lord through him. He's this faithful brother. He's this, or excuse me, beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. Do you see the humility there just pouring through the page? He's a fellow servant. I'm no greater or better than anyone. He's just a fellow servant. We're just serving the Lord. We'll tell you the news about me. Think about it. He's in prison. They're going to kill him the Romans. (laughs) 
that part of the information is just a blip on the screen. What's really important, or on the page, what's really important to this one, Tachikis, or however you say it, is that I'm sending him to you for this purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. I want you to see something that's true of the Christian and true of great friends as we examine friends today. Who's the greatest friend? Or Jesus Christ is our brother who sticks closer than anyone. I think Proverbs is prophetically telling us that. But here as we are friends in the community that we live, who is a great friend in, in, in this passage, well, first of all, it's Paul. You're like, what are you saying? Why are you getting so excited? Because, see, here's this theologically great guy. He studied under the greatest uh, religious people of the day, and then after he meets Jesus, he goes into the area of Arabia for three years and just hears from the Lord. And now he starts to write most of the New Testament. He starts all of these churches, and he has his head in the books and clouds. And in his writings, we discover he writes about, listen to this, this blows me away. It touches my heart. I hope it does you. He writes about over 100 personal friends. In here, he's going to name about seven friends as he signs off. Paul was one who knew what life was all about. Living in community, not just your head in the clouds. Remember, the Bible tells us to, here in Colossians to set our minds on things above. Well, some of us set our minds so much on things above that we forget that there are people here who are raw and hurting. And that the Lord has called us to be encouragers to them. We just go about the daily things of religion without remembering there's people along the way. Not Paul, man. Not Paul. Over a hundred people he mentions, and first he starts with Tychicus, or however, I'm going to call him Ty. A beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, I will tell or he will tell you this news about me, and I'm sending him to you for this purpose. What purpose? That he may know your circumstances. He's going to listen to you. You see it? What's a good friend do? Listens. Now, if you're married, man, oh, man, that's one thing I'm bad at. My wife comes to me, and she's got this thing going on, and I'm just like, okay, let's do this, this, and this. And she's like, she doesn't say this, but she might say this. Can you be quiet for a minute? I just want to tell you about it. That's hard for me to listen but if you love people, if you're friends with people, I want you to see something. You ever met the person, you ever encountered the person, and you try to be friends with them, and all they want to talk about is themselves all the time. It's just, I mean, it's good to talk sometimes about yourself. You need to do that. But you ever had a person, that's all they want to do. They just want to talk about it. The Bible says, if you want friends, Proverbs actually says this, if you want friends, you got to be friendly. I get people a lot of times saying, well, nobody talks to me. I'm like, well, you know, the Bible says if you isolate yourselves, Proverbs 18, and if you're not friendly, you're not going to have friends. 
I get it. People need to come talk to you. They need to come say, but you got to be friendly. And one of the things you got to do is you got to listen. That's friendly. Oh, man, am I in trouble. So here, this fellow servant of the Lord will tell you news about me. I'm sending to you for this purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. What else does a friend do? For people he cares about, he encourages you. That word means pour courage into you or comfort you. This Ty was an amazing comforter. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Ty. Ty is mentioned five times in the Bible. In Acts 20, he was on Paul's third missionary journey with him. Paul, as he went around the Mediterranean Sea, was so hung up on this one thing. Do you remember what this one thing was? That he would take a collection from the Gentile churches and deliver it to Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem, to the Jews, to show that they loved them, that they were brothers in Christ with them, sisters in Christ with them, and that they cared. And Paul delivered this money to Jerusalem. But guess what he did? He took six or seven guys with him, and Ty was one of them. Can you imagine saying to your wife, I don't know if Ty was married or not, but can you imagine saying to your wife or family, hey, uh, you know, Paul asked me uh, to uh, uh, take some money down to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be gone for, you know, I don't know, nine months or so, and uh, can you just, do you think of the sacrifice this guy, those guys had to make? That's Ty. In Ephesians 6, he calls him a dear brother of Paul, a faithful servant, just like he did here. Catch this. The Bible also tells us in Ephesians and Timothy and other places that he was sent to Ephesus also. He actually delivered the Ephesian letter and the Colossian letter over from Rome to Colossae and into that area. That's, I, I alluded to it earlier. It's about a 1,000 miles. So not only was Ty one of the ones who took the gift to Paul, but he took two letters. He probably took more than that. We'll talk about that later. And he actually delivered them to a little insignificant church a 1,000 miles away. You say, oh, my gosh, he would have to walk. You ever hiked all day and then had to camp at night? Yeah, me neither, but... If you did, it'd be tiring. You ever had to get on a ship and sail through the Mediterranean Sea and protect the the stuff? This is what this guy had to do. And he was a, listen, he was basically the church's mailman. Now, this was a guy, right? By the way, later in Titus 3, it also tells us that Ty was sent to the Isle of Crete to do some work. But what I'm trying to tell you is, See, once people get into what's called, quote, the world says, the inner circle. Hey, man, the pastor asked me to speak on Wednesday night. (laughs) I'm getting big. And then somebody says, you know, you think you could come down and set up the chairs? Wait a minute, set up the chairs? I'm speaking on Wednesday night. See, Tai Chikis never had that problem. He said, oh, wait a second. You need me to deliver the word of God to an insignificant little church that we, you and I love? Yes, I'll do it. Amazing. See, this gives new or sheds new light 
to those scriptures like in Romans that tells us to be devoted to one another. Oh, Paul, this is important to you. Well, it's important to me. What a friend. See, many times acquaintances will like you for what you can do for them. But it's rare to find a person who's rowing in the same direction that you're rowing in, the glory of God, who will do things that you ask them to if you need them to, sign up for duty and say, hey, send me. I'll do it. See, because Ty has the notion in his heart that whatever he does, whether it's walking, riding a ship, protecting some letters, it's all for the glory of God. It doesn't matter whether he gets to speak on Wednesday night. Lord, if you've called me to deliver the letter, I'll do it. Do you see the heart of Christ here? Christ would leave the 99 for the one. Paul and Ty said, oh, there's a church out there that needs to know about the preeminence of Christ. I'll do it. What a friend. That's Tychicus. That's just one of them. How about this one? I'm sending him to you that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Now, if you don't know the story of the Bible, this one cracks me up. God has an amazing sense of humor. There's a Bible book called Philemon. Philemon had a church in his house. And he had a slave. I know, that save that for a different day. The Bible never condones slavery. It just deals with it while it was going on. And apparently, Onesimus stole from Philemon and coincidentally somehow meets Paul in Rome. It's not coincidentally. It's by providence. And Onesimus's life has changed. So here's what he says. Hey, Ty, I want you to take the Ephesian letter and the Colossian letter. And oh, by the way, I want you to take Onesimus and also deliver the letter from Philemon, or to Philemon, or the letter Philemon, to his house. Now listen, Philemon is mad at Onesimus from stealing from him. But Onesimus had become a Christian and his life's changed. He's become a, gro- uh, a trophy of God's grace. And he says, I want you to ring the doorbell and give him this letter. Can you imagine Philemon opening the door and go, whew, what am I going to do now? And in that letter, listen, folks, Paul writes this. He says, if he still owes you, charge it to my account. And oh, by the way, Philemon, my account is I shared with you and you became a Christian, forgiven forever. Wow. Wow. That's who that is. That's Onesimus. You see, you say, well, why is this a big deal? Because Paul became friends with him. He didn't give up on people. This is a guy who committed theft. In the world's eyes, they say, oh, you committed theft? Away with you. Should somebody who commits theft uh, uh, suffer the consequences? Of course, but Christians don't give up on people just because they make sinful mistakes, because we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. That's what real friends do. If you're looking for a friend who's always perfect and is going to cater to you, you don't know what friendship is. Here, Paul is persevering, never gives up. They'll make known to you all the things which are happening here. 
Wow. And then in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. Now, this is interesting. In Roman times or in the Roman um, uh, world of incarceration, sometimes if a prisoner wasn't too violent, they would actually let you have a fellow servant come and be a prisoner beside you to sort of take care of you so their system wouldn't uh, do that. And so some people argue that Aristarchus, because of this verse, is one of those um, fellow prisoners. He's from Macedonia, and this is really great. In Acts 19, listen to this now. Don't, don't fade out. I'm telling you, don't fade out. This is going to do your heart good. In Acts 19, he is with Paul as Paul is preaching the gospel in Ephesus. That's where Ephesians came from, the book. Anyway, he's preaching in Ephesus. Now think about this. And Paul's preaching, and the townspeople are getting mad. You know why they're getting mad? Because the more Paul preached, the more the people gave their lives to the Lord, and they gave up idols. And this blacksmith, this silversmith in town said, oh my goodness, he's impacting my business because I'm making these idols to Diana, and nobody's buying them anymore. So he gets the townspeople to rise up and get in a riot with Paul. It's tense, and they have to, you know, escape and scoot out and do all those sorts of things. This Aristarchus is with him during the riot. Who else is Aristarchus? He was with Paul uh, on the shipwreck in Acts 27 when Paul is going from, uh, you know, the area of Palestine all the way up to Rome. This Aristarchus is on the ship, and they wreck in the sea. I read you one of the verses, didn't I? Proverbs 8.24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus addressed this. Remember when he's inside talking and people come outside and say, or come inside and say, hey, you know what? Your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside. And he said, wait a minute, who's my relatives? Ah, the one who do the will of God, the one who knows the word of God, the one who's following me, Jesus said. You get into this family. You say, well, wait a minute. There's a sense in which, listen, folks, this is going to be touchy for some of you, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a sense in which Christian family is closer than blood family. Uh-oh. What do you mean? Well, you know how it is. Come on, folks. You have blood family, and you know, I don't know, your basement gets wet. That's my dilemma right now. <laughs> you call your family, and they're like, all right. You're my family. I guess I got to come over and help you. <laughs> right? Nobody else has family like that. If they're watching, if they're watching, I'm sorry. And you do, because you're family, and you, you do it. But listen, when a Christian, and, and you, right, you know what, and you, you, you share the very life of Christ, that's what we share. And something like that happens, man, people come and help. And there's this sense in which your family in Christ is closer than a brother. Here, Aristarchus is that. 
Paul, your mission, I'm, we're friends together, and this is important to you, but it's important to me, and we row in this area, and that's, we want to get the gospel out to all the world, so whatever, Paul, I'll go with you where you need me to go. Even in a riot, I'll go there, in danger. Even in a shipwreck, I stay closer than a brother. Now we get to this amazing one. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, look down here in verse 10. Just track with me. Who here has had a fight with a friend? And they haven't talked to him for a while. Well, this is the story for you. Here we go. We have Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas means son of consolation. Do you know that? Barnabas, wouldn't you love to be a Barnabas? Just always consoling people, encouraging people, edifying people. Well, the Bible says we're to do that uh, regularly. But here's who John Mark is. He's from Jerusalem where his mom, Mary, had a, sort of like a house church for the early church. You can find that in Acts 12. He came to faith through Paul's ministry, we think, because Paul calls him my son, 1 Peter 5. He, now, listen, listen to this. Listen to this. John Mark goes on because he's cousins with Barnabas. He goes on the first missionary journey with Paul. We don't know what kind of argument they got, got in, but Paul and John Mark get into an argument. By the way, Mark is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. They get into an argument. Paul says, you've got to get this guy out of here. Kick him out. We're not taking him with us anymore on the first missionary journey. Well, Paul and Barnabas then want to go on the second missionary journey, and Barnabas shows up and brings John Mark or says, hey, John Mark's going with us. And Paul says, no way. There's no way that guy's going with us. He, he ditched us last time. He let us down last time. See, these are real people with real hurts, with real struggles, with real unforgiveness. They aren't just some saints to hold up. They're real people. They are saints, but you get what I'm saying. But here's what's beautiful about this. In one of the last letters that Paul ever wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he says, he calls for John Mark, and he says, because he's very useful to me in my ministry. See, something happened between the second missionary journey and the end of Paul's life. Listen to this. In which these two faced this hard dilemma between each other. Now, I've got to go off on a tangent here because it impacts America, church Here's what happens in America church. You guys get, or I get mad at somebody, or you get mad at me, and what happens is we won't come together. So we leave church, we leave church, we leave church, and you keep saying, well, I can't find a church. And that's because you'll never face the hard things. Jesus says, he actually writes it out in Matthew 18. If you got something against a brother and a sister, do this. Really novel concept, really novel, really intricate. Go talk to them. Nobody wants to go talk to them. Nobody wants to do the hard thing. Nobody wants to lower their pride, certainly not me, lower their pride and say, I was wrong. You say, well, what if they were wrong? Jesus says, forgive them, 70 times 70, or seven times 70 times. Just be a forgiving person. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you don't forgive people, you must not be forgiven. Whew. Here, these friends, this is, listen, 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 listen. This is like the cement of their friendship. Sure, they loved each other. They were striving in the same way. But, but just like uh, Ty and Aristarchus, they'd been through these difficult times. And then John Marks comes along. They've even gotten this blow-up disagreement. But they didn't let that fracture them for all of life. 
They did what Jesus said, go and talk to people, and somehow, some way, this beautiful, amazing, glorious friendship is forged out of a disagreement. Come on now. And that's John Mark. If you're holding forgiveness or withholding forgiveness from someone, don't. It's only killing you. If you're trying to be forgiven from somebody, listen, you can't control what another person does. You can still forgive them in the context of your relationship with the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave the penalty to the Lord and just forgive them in your heart. Oh, boy. John Mark. You know what else the story of John Mark says? I'm so happy about this one. It encourages people who failed the Lord. Now, I put quotes around failed because you didn't really fail the Lord. I, I got news for you. The Lord doesn't need me. <laughs> he doesn't need me. If it wasn't me, he'd bring up somebody, right? And, and, and the Lord doesn't need me. And, and he wants me, though. <laughs> See, that's the point. He wants me. So this story encourages you if you've ever failed the Lord or somebody else. There's hope. He doesn't give up. He brings John Mark back into the fold. Okay, let's look at another one. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And then verse 11, and Jesus, who is called Justice. You're like, who is that guy? And here's the answer. I have no idea, and neither does anybody else. Jesus just is a word uh, that they would say, uh, just a, 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 a popular name, many people had the name Jesus. We serve Jesus the Christ from Nazareth, who was born of a virgin, so we know who that is, but this one is Jesus Justice, a Greek and a Hebrew name. And you say, well, why is that important to be in the Bible? Because I, the Bible is telling you with a big punch right now, he's like, listen up. If you feel like you're insignificant, <laughs> you, you're not. He records us. He knows us. Well, we're just talking to my brother back there about the book of Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah, go preach, go preach. All these years, Jeremiah just preached, and he had zero amount of worldly success. But we know that the Bible tells us that when we meet our Lord, the Lord's going to say to us, well done, good and successful servant. No, he's going to say faithful servant, Jesus justice, the faithful one. I'm convinced in heaven you're going to see people there who just were in the shadows, just praying for people and loving people and encouraging people and sending letters. And some of the people who are up front and always like to be seen, who knows? Jesus, justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Now, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always. A bondservant of Christ. This one's Epaphras. We met him uh, in chapter 1. We met him in chapter 1. 
He founded the church at Colossae. He also probably founded the churches at Laodicea and another uh, church in the area in the Lycus Valley. He wanted to share and disciple and serve God and grow together. He was a servant of Christ. And this one, doesn't he? He tells us something or he tells us something amazing about him, about how to be a friend. Always laboring fervently for you, where, how, in prayers. Remember, I put something up on social media. I never got such a great response than this on social media because it touches a nerve. J.C. Ryle said this, if you want to know how much somebody loves you, find out how much they pray for you. You want to find out how, how much somebody loves you, find out how much they pray for you. Here, Epaphras, the one who founded the church, he didn't just find the church and preach and get the rock walls up and make sure you had all the kids' fun games and, you know, the, the, the youth night at the bowling alley and, you know, shoot guns together. That's good and fun, and I like to do that too. But what this prayer, or what this guy did was, in friendship and in love, he prayed fervently. And what did he pray? That you would stand perfect and complete in the will of God. My goodness, do you see the maturity in that prayer? He wanted you always to be complete in the will of God. And the Bible tells us already in Colossians 2, what or how or what are we complete in? Jesus himself. Well, for, uh, excuse me, for I bear, verse 13, him witness that he has a great zeal for you. He has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. Now, here's another beautiful thing. Luke, the beloved physician. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke. Luke, who wrote the, wrote the book of Acts. Did you know this? He was a doctor. Isn't that great? Here's Paul. He's friends with Jesus just, Justice, this insignificant guy that could do nothing for him but he loved him as a person, authentically loved him, and included him in his writings. But he also liked the physician. He was friends with him, and he loved him. And it says this, Luke, the beloved physician. He is a beloved physician. This is the one who probably was Paul's personal physician. And well, you know what this tells us? Oh, by the way, Luke traveled with Paul to Jerusalem in Acts 20, and he was with him on the voyage to Rome in Acts 27, which means he knew some of the other friends in here. Did you catch this? And by, 2 Timothy tells us that Luke remained with Paul to the end. Now, he's a doctor, folks. He's a doctor. No offense against doctors. But you don't find a lot of doctors today that go the extra mile. You just don't. They're so busy, and they're running people through there like cattle. And this one, think about it, gives up his whole life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you went to places like 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about all of us being a part of the body, not everybody can be the thumb. I know lots of us want to be the thumb. No, no, we can't be the thumb. Not all of us can be, you know, the, the biceps. There's a lot of us want to be the biceps. Not all of us can be the eye. But we're all a part of the body of Christ. You could go to Ephesians 4 that talks about body life. You could go to Romans 12 that talks about using gifts for God's glory. But catch this, the parable of the talents. Remember this? Jesus gave some money 
Five talents to a guy, two talents to a guy, and one talent to a guy. I think those are the numbers. If they're not, uh, shoot me. But remember, he commended the people when he came back, or the vineyard, the, the owner of the, uh, uh, y- y- you know, of the operation comes back and sees what they did with the talents. The five went to ten. He's like, that's great. The two went to four. Yay! The guy with one talent, he buries it in the ground and says, well, I protected it for you. And Jesus, you know, the, the parable is, what are you doing burying your talent? Use it for my glory and multiply it. You get it? It don't matter what you do. You could be an engineer. A lawyer, no, you could, I don't know about that. But you could be a lawyer. Moms who take care of the kids. Dads who work at the, I don't know, work for waste management. It doesn't matter. We're all equal in Christ. You could do everything for the glory of the Lord. Here, Luke gives it all up for Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Then Paul says, and Demas greet you. Now, Demas is the one warning signal, the warning sign, the parting shot. Why do I say this? Well, Demas is mentioned uh, three times. A couple times he's mentioned just being one of the friends of Paul. But then uh, we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Demas at the end of his life forsook Paul because he loved the present world more than he loved the things of the Spirit. You catching that? Demas actually ultimately fell away from the faith. And the Bible tells us in a couple places, James 4, don't be friends with the world. It's actually enmity with God. Enmity just means there's this thing between you and God. Don't be friends with the world. 1 John 2.15 says, don't love the world. Don't love the world. If you love the world, you're paying or you're playing at Christianity. You don't really have the love of the Father if you love the world. If you love the things of the world more than you love the things of the Spirit. Well, here's another one. Greet the brothers who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in in this house. Nymphus uh, or Nympha, it depends on which... uh, uh, translation to read. Some believe this was a man. Some believe this was a woman. I'll let you do the digging on that. But I want you to see something just in line with what we talked about at the beginning of this sermon, is that church wasn't in a church until about 300 B.C., folks. Church happened at people's homes, You could look at it in Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians 16. Aquila and Priscilla had a church in their house in Rome. Uh, There's some other places where you can see. I took you to Acts 2 where the early church went from house to house. Mary had, uh, Luke's mom had a church in her home. They met in homes. And in your homes, you become friends. Which says something to me. Oh, man, am I going to get in trouble for this one. Listen, I've been to a big church in my life. That's where I started, in a really big church, and it was wonderful and great. And the reason it was wonderful and great is because they had family groups or Bible groups that met in the homes, and they had them almost every night. Not that you would go every night, but I lived in Hawaii, and they had them all around the island. So you could connect one night a week with somebody at their home. It was awesome. 
We, we love to go to the big church, and I, I understand, and you're probably saying, well, he's just sad because this isn't a big church. Trust me, I ain't sad. But what I'm saying is, sometimes in a big church, we can let ourselves off the hook. Because there's no accountability at all there. You can go in, you can breeze in, you can breeze out, and unless you take it upon yourself to get plugged in, and then, yes, of course, Church, big churches can do great things. But what I'm saying is there's this dynamic when you're together and you're rowing in the same direction with a group of people who you love and they love you. They might be from different walks of life, but they're becoming friends because you've all been through the battles together. You're forging things together. You're having disagreements and you're making up in the Lord and you're being strong in the Lord, you see, and you come together. And now you're not fake friends where you just need something from people. No, you're real friends who when the other person needs something, you're there. When you need something, they're there. I'm convinced that's the message here. The gospel takes all kinds of people and makes them friends and takes them into community. Well, we'll finish it out. Now, when this epistle was read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Okay, folks, there were probably other letters that didn't make it into the Bible. If you have questions about that, don't see me. No, I'm kidding. Of course see me. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Oh, I might have jumped the gun on Archippus there, sorry. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. <laughs> see, this is what I want you to see. It's amazing, isn't it? Bible in Psalm 68 says God takes the solitary and puts them into families. Or he takes the lonely and he puts them into families. The first chapter of John says to those who receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. You become his child, and he puts you in this family. And sometimes within a family, I don't know about you, but I had an older brother. Come on, man. He was beating me up all the time. We fought, but we love each other. I'm not advocating you beat each other up. But sometimes things happen when we're being fitted together as living stones where the rough edges on your life need to be chipped off and the rough edges on my life need to be chipped off so that we can be fit together and make something beautiful. If we run away from it, it doesn't happen. A real friend is one, watch this, who doesn't just flatter you all the time, find somebody who can tell you the truth lovingly. And then be the kind of friend, watch this, because we don't like this, who receives the truth, 
and doesn't lash back at the friend. See, because if you keep lashing at the person who's revealing truth to you about your life, they get closed off because they don't want to get bashed over and over again, so they stop saying stuff to you. Folks, that ain't real friendship. You know this, right? When you flatter somebody all the time, even when they're not flattering, you know who you're really flattering? Yourself. What you're saying is, I love myself more than I love you because I don't ever want to make waves with you because you'll think bad of me. Man, find a friend who can speak candidly to you. Be a friend who listens and is friendly. Don't isolate yourself, the Bible says, and walk in the counsel of wise people. Pick them wisely. Paul did it, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of your life, when it's all done, are you going to be one who said, man, I'm so glad I had that new boat? Oh, man. Did you see my closet full of all those Nikes? When you're at your deathbed, you're not going to care about any of that. Of course, it's number one, it's going to be, thank the Lord that I've been reconciled back to the Father through the blood of Christ with the Spirit of God in my heart, but then you're going to say, and all the people here around me who I've had the privilege of loving, that's what's going to count. Let's pray. Well, Lord, Colossians, thank you so much for this beautiful and high and grand book. And thank you, Lord, that you put us into families, your family, and we can grow and move together. Lord, help us not to run away when things get hard with people. Help us to talk things through with people and to apologize and ask for forgiveness when we're wrong. Keep us in a place of humility, Lord. We're praying that as iron sharpens iron, you would forge steely, tender, loving, wonderful friendships together so that we could move out should you tarry and share your love and light with a hurting and dark world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.